The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Let's try this way. Hold on. How do you know that that sign means what it says? I understand your caution, but we must take the risk. Hulk, think about it. Nothing has been as it seems. There's no need for that, Hawk. We're on the same side. Yes, of course we're on the same side, Buck, dear boy. Listen, listen to me. I was able to synthesize a serum. Yes, Dr. Goodfellow and I have both been immunized, Buck. Yeah. But we need your help to round up the rest of the crew so that they can be inoculated as well. Nice try, Enro. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 4th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. From the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, we were told that the objective of any lockdowns was to flatten the curve. Two weeks to flatten the curve, remember that one? No, not a curve related to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but to the load on the state-run healthcare system. In other words, as I observed from day one, the lockdowns were justified not for health or safety reasons, but to prevent various state-run healthcare systems around the world from being overwhelmed with patients. But as the weeks progressed, we learned that that justification no longer held water, and that political motivations for the lockdowns were quite different from what we were originally being told. Now, A year later, we find ourselves subject to continual and ever more restrictive lockdowns, which have nothing to do with health care, but with what I can only call a health scare. The new terrorism being employed to force Agenda 21 and the Great Reset upon us. We'll be talking more about that right after I encourage you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. And as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And on that note... I cannot possibly begin the show today without telling you about a very troubling and bizarre experience that one of our financial donors to the show had just last week. On January 24th, Just Right Media got a notice from PayPal that a, quote, payment from Troy K. in the amount of, and then it gives the amount, is pending. As part of our security measures, we review certain payments more closely to ensure our platform is being used properly and to minimize the potential risk for us and our customers, this payment is currently being reviewed. We are working to resolve this matter as quickly as possible. We apologize for the inconvenience, end quote. Well, sure enough, on the next day, January 25th, our donor, Troy K., also received an email from PayPal, which is possibly the most bizarre and irrational message that you would ever expect from a financial institution, and which read as follows. Are you ready for this one? Dear Troy K., 
PayPal is committed to complying with and meeting its global regulatory obligations. As part of our regulatory obligations, we regularly screen information and payments transacting through the PayPal system. During one of these screenings, we noticed an issue concerning a recent transaction. To resolve the compliance inquiry in a timely fashion, PayPal is requesting that you provide the following information. On January 24th, you sent a payment, and then they give the number of the payment, and then they give the amount, and then they cite Troy's comment, quote, always enjoy the program, like the recent Salim Mansur piece in the 2012 Kathy Shadle episode, content that aged very well, end quote. And then they ask, please provide the following information. The date of birth for Salim Mansour. Your payment has been held until this issue is resolved. This hold cannot be removed until PayPal receives the requested information that will enable us to ensure our compliance with our regulatory obligations. To provide this information, please go to the Resolution Center. To access the Resolution Center, log into your account and click Help at the top of the page and then click Resolution Center. Please ensure that any documents you send us are fully visible as we can't accept partial documents. We thank you for your prompt attention to this matter. We apologize for any inconvenience, blah, blah, blah. PayPal compliance. Now, Troy wrote to us to explain. <laughs> he says, I used the PayPal portal to make a credit card donation to which it replied that it would have to be audited, authenticated, or approved. I received an email the next day asking for Salim Mansur's date of birth. I suspect that was a result of my mentioning in the notes section that I very much enjoyed finding an episode of the program I had not yet heard. I've suggested... They pay the donation or I would permanently find a new payment system. I have heard nothing in 24 hours. I find this very odd and unsettling in these days of cancel culture. Regards, Troy K. Well, odd is almost an understatement, Troy. Consider what they just asked you to do. They are asking you, as a listener to the show, who has, by the way, made previous successful donations to Just Right using PayPal. And thank you very much, Troy but who is now also expected to know the birth date of a guest that happens to be on a particular episode before PayPal will process his donation to our show. Now that, of course, is absurd on its face. You know, maybe you should have just sent them any date to see what their response would have been. Uh, that might have been more fascinating than the original request, but I see they were also asking for some kind of documentation. What kind of documentation? So having given this much thought, it occurred to me that you know, there's two possibilities at play here. One, Distrite Media is indeed being targeted by PayPal to help prevent our views or perspectives from being disseminated. I mean, we see this happening everywhere, and, and as part of that cancel culture mentioned. Or two, the comment posted on the donation form triggered some kind of crazy algorithm or formula or even a glitch that compiled an absurd question and response. I mean, it read, always enjoy the program, like the recent Salim Mansur piece in the 2012 Kathy Shadle episode, content that aged very well. Well, this is a long shot, but I noticed that the name Salim Mansur and the word aged appeared in the same comment. Maybe the automated system just associated those two things in some bizarre way, resulting in that request. But then, of course, it begs the question why they didn't ask the donor for Kathy Shadle's birthday, or even the day of, on which she passed away which was why that post was made in the first place. And uh, I don't know, I think I might be trying to be too kind to PayPal. 
After all, both Kathy Shadle and Salim Mansour have a certain reputation for opposing official state narratives. In fact, Salim was just this past week published in the Epoch Times in a January 26 piece called America's 2020 Election and the China Way. Perhaps the real PayPal lesson here is to not express one's opinion on political and social topics of any kind on a financial document or transaction. Perhaps it's safer in today's cancel culture to simply pass those kinds of comments on under separate cover. So if there are any updates on this, you will be sure to let you know. And you know, this might be a good opportunity for those of you who have been considering making a donation to Just Right, but just haven't got around to it yet, to do so now, if for no other reason than to test the system and my theory about our possibly being faded into cancel culture by PayPal. Let us know if you have any bizarre issues of your own. And speaking of cancel culture, I just had to kick off the show today with a couple of stories recently brought to my attention about simply outrageous and offensive actions taken by our governments in the supposed name of health care and public safety. And in the name of COVID, it has become clear that any violation of individual rights and dignity is justifiable, including the establishment and entrenchment of a police state, which is, like it or not, a very accurate and precise term to describe the political environment in which we live today. On this side of our upcoming bumper, we hear Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau announce utterly fascist controls over innocent and law-abiding citizens on January 30th, followed immediately by Rebel Media's Kean Bextie demonstrating those controls in action. And what a story that is. And on the return side of the bumper, Laurel and Tyler Thompson interviews a woman named Kimberly who has a very sad story to tell about her mother living in long-term care out in British Columbia in yet another clear demonstration of more COVID lockdown destruction and damage. I'm sure it's a story sadly being shared by thousands and not being heard or acknowledged by our hypocritical politicians who dare to say that they care about the vulnerable. Nothing could be further from the truth. Starting next week, all international passenger flights must land only at the following four airports. Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal. In addition to the pre-boarding test we already acquire, as soon as possible in the coming weeks, we will be introducing mandatory PCR testing at the airport for people returning to Canada. Travelers will then have to wait for up to three days at an approved hotel for their test results at their own expense, which is expected to be more than $2,000. Those with negative test results will then be able to quarantine at home under significantly increased surveillance and enforcement. Those with positive tests will be immediately required to quarantine in designated government facilities to make sure they're not carrying variants of potential concern. We will also, in the coming weeks, be requiring non-essential travelers to show a negative test before entry at the land border with the U.S., and we're working to stand up additional testing requirements for land travel. Kim Bexie for Rebel News coming to you with a story that you're just not going to believe. I'm standing outside of a hotel near the Calgary airport where a woman is currently being held against her will after breaking apparently 
no rules at all. She landed in Calgary from the United States and Justin Trudeau's thugs appeared, picked her up and brought her here. She hasn't been able to speak face to face with her family since landing and her family is horrified at what's going on. We're horrified on her behalf. She's spoken to me over the phone and she sent me a video from within her hotel room showing me that the, that the hallway outside of her room is lined with plastic. What's going on here is insane and there's seemingly no reason for what's going on. There's no explanation for what's going on. She can't get an explanation. We can't get an explanation and we've retained lawyers for her. I'm going to go in there and speak to the people running this hotel to see exactly what Justin Trudeau has directed them to do, why they are doing it, because it's just not clear. Nikki Mathis is her name. She's currently in one of these rooms in the hotel right behind me. She's not allowed to leave. She says she was threatened with six months in jail if she did. We don't know what's going on. Justin Trudeau has not made the rules clear. We believe it has something to do with testing. She took a test while she was in the United States. It came back as negative. When she landed, border agents said that no, that, that test isn't valid, it, it didn't work, or, or something along those lines, even though she had the paperwork to document it, to back it up herself. You can see the piece of paper right here. You can see clear as day that she does not have the Wuhan coronavirus. She is not sick, she is not a threat. But when she landed, she was not only denied the rapid testing that is available to everyone who lands at the Calgary airport, she was picked up and brought here and locked in a hotel room where she can't leave under threat of actual arrest. We don't know what's going on. I'm going to go in there to try and figure it out. Everything has to go. Could you please explain to me how many Canadians you have detained in this hotel? Please go away. How many Canadians against their will are being held in this hotel? Can you tell me how many people are detained here? I will not tell you anything. You will not tell me how many people are detained here. Why is that? Why is this such a secret? And why are you guys actively doing the bidding of Justin Trudeau, someone who you know is not acting in the best interests of Canadians at all? No way whatsoever is this a reasonable thing to do, to hold people against their will in a hotel under the threat of arrest, of, of jail time for six months? What is going on here? Okay, if you're not leaving, I'm calling the cops. Please do. What's going on here I do not think is legal. I don't care what you do. And I'll happily leave. I'm going to my car right now to leave. Good. Because if you don't, the cops will be here in no time flat. Oh, I bet they will. Nikki Mathis, when she landed at the Calgary airport and went to go take the test that every Canadian who lands at the Calgary airport is allowed to take so they don't have to quarantine for 14 days at their home, she was denied that test and she was put in a white van and brought to this hotel surrounded by a police escort, according to her husband. This is a massive problem. It is a massive violation of her charter rights, not just her mobility rights, which if you weren't aware of those, Every Canadian has a right to come into Canada, to stay in Canada, or to leave Canada. That is a fundamental charter right. And Justin Trudeau is violating this with his strange new restrictions that he seems to be putting in every week to distract from the fact that he's failing Canadians when it comes to vaccinations. You're not going to be thinking about vaccinations if your family members are locked up in his jail cells, will you? Now, I couldn't believe it when I was here and as I was being kicked off the property, when I was just trying to ask some questions, Calgarians were gathering around this COVID hotel in pretty large numbers to stand in solidarity with Nikki, who's being unreasonably detained by Justin Trudeau's government. Here's what they had to say about why they showed up on a Friday afternoon to stand up for Nikki. Just, just this act itself breaks like three, three or four of our uh, charters, charter rights including you know being arrested without without just cause mm -hmm. 
right? So, like any anything that requires us to be arrested for not breaking the law goes against our charter rights. So, awesome. Thanks yeah. for your time. Could you tell me yourself? Sure, what? I saw the same video. I've been watching you for a long time, watching Kevin. And, yeah, after I saw that interview, I phoned here. And I said, I've got people coming in from out of town in a couple of days, and I would like to see about booking a room. And he says, oh, we're, well, we're closed. And I says, oh, really? You're closed? I says, well, what are you doing there then? <laughs> and he says, taking reservations. And I said, how long have you been closed? Well, I think before he said, we've been closed since March. I said, what are you doing there then? Taking reservations. And I said, for when? This is March. Do you think what's going on in here is lawful? No. It, How does it make you feel for the people that are in there right now, locked up against their will, under threat of jail for six months oh, if they leave? It's disgusting. It's evil. This is a, we are at a time of the final battle between good versus evil. Now, I just spoke with Nikki. She's actually in this hotel and she has a cell phone connection still. And she sent me this video from inside her Trudeau jail cell. Yeah, it's just a little concerning not being able to be the one to make the decision whether or not I can go home to quarantine or whether I need to be here to quarantine. Um, I told them at the airport last night that I had nobody living in my home that was over the age of 60, nobody that's autoimmune compromised. Um, I have a room I can stay in with a bathroom beside it. I don't, um, I have a good setup and I have a good plan in place. Um, I also suggested to them that they made it available to do the rapid test right then and there instead of having to sit here and wait for a test to come because that's more time that you're just waiting and waiting. So it's just really, really irritating to have to sit here when I've already been away from my family for over a week to have to wait even longer and um, not being able to be the one to choose to go on my own. So yeah, it feels a little bit like I'm locked up right now. And as much as I know that it's a nice hotel room, it's, I'd rather have my own bedroom, that's for sure. Now this is just insane. If you told yourself a year ago that we would be in this position, that the government of Canada would be arbitrarily detaining Canadians who repatriate to distract from their failing vaccination program, Justin Trudeau should be ashamed of himself. And we are going to stand up for the people that he is unreasonably persecuting, especially the one in this hotel right now. So I have a precious woman here today, and her name is Kimberly, and she is willing to share about their personal experience and what has been going on for them with uh, their mom in the family. And so Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, and hi, Laura. Yes. Thank you, Kimberly. Um, tell me about um, your situation, when it started and leading up to, to, to today. First, I want to thank you very much for doing this for our family and for everybody else. And thanks, thanks to Toby. Um, this started before they started locking them down. Um, we realized that once your loved one goes in a nursing home, if you advocate for them, then there's problems. They don't like people advocating for them. Uh, my mom also has dementia. So it's been really hard on her because she doesn't remember stuff. So um, when they first locked 
the nursing home down, which is Yukulta Lodge here in Campbell River. I knew this was a problem. I knew it was going to be a huge problem because once you lock, once you lock the doors, they can do whatever they want. And we had had to advocate for my mom several times. Uh, the first thing that happened is uh, I went to take her goodies and stuff, which I did all the time, stocked her up with pop and, and all that stuff. And they wouldn't let us in. They wouldn't let me in. So there was a big kerfuffle. Uh, so while I was there, I'm going, okay, well, her room faces the parking lot. So while I'm here, I'll go to her room. And because it faces the parking lot, I can, I can reach it. It's not on the inside. And I was at the window and there were nurses in there. I took pictures because they weren't wearing any, any PPE. This was April 24th. I sat there for a few minutes. It was really hard because she, she couldn't figure out how to work her remote. So when I left, I'd been there for about a half an hour or so. The whole time I'm there, I'm seeing staff go in and out and in and out. So I had said to one of the nurses going in, it must be nice to be able to go in and out as you please. I'm not allowed to go in. She go, and then she said to me, well, I'm putting my family at risk. I says, really, it looks like you're putting your family at risk. She went in, came back out, took my license plate. I had cops at my door five minutes after I came home, banging on my door. I thought they were going to break it down. I live in an apartment. They didn't even buzz to come in. So anytime we've advocated for my mom, we've had uh, punishment for it. Yeah, there's some very anguished voices out there, particularly on the effects of the lockdowns and long-term care homes. Had a similar nightmare story occur within my own family circle. Ostensibly because of the COVID lockdowns, some relatives of ours were not permitted to visit the mother of one of them in a long-term care home in Windsor, Ontario. Refusing to comply after having been told not to enter the home, they did so anyway only to find the mother lying in a bed, drenched in urine and feces, with her fingernails so long that they were curling right around and she was completely dehydrated. The care home called the police on them and tried to prevent them from removing the mother out of the home. Fortunately, when police arrived, they actually sided with the mother's kids and they removed the mother from the care home. Now, the point to be made here is that this kind of stuff is going on all the time and there's no one around to report it or to be held accountable. Why do you think all these disasters are happening in long-term care homes? And of course, this is all part of the greater healthcare horror story that our officials do not want us to know about. The curve has not only been flattened, but has been bent right out of shape ever since socialized universal medicine was inflicted upon a willing public, which is now continuing willingly to accept even more mistreatment and suffering, all in the name of an imaginary pandemic, and all to save a failed healthcare system. I mean, that pandemic can't even be detected by anyone other than by phony test results. They're phony because they are meaningless whether the result is positive or negative. Makes no difference to what they want to do. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is a complete dyed-in-the-wool communist who's hastening the globalists' Agenda 21 and the Great Reset, which he explicitly supported at every opportunity. This guy is evil, as are all of the policies emanating from his evil philosophy. And he has the full support of his party and that of the opposition Canada's so-called conservative parties, federal and provincial. Trudeau's COVID camps, whatever form they take, were announced and implemented many months ago, 
since, of course, this whole exercise has never been based on actual health conditions or circumstances, but on a plan of action announced far in advance of any signs of COVID. So the COVID lies and the propaganda continue unabated, ever-changing, yet ever-remaining the same when it comes to permitting any individual freedom or even permitting freedom of expression. Got this January 25th report from Anon, our anonymous source, who is of course known to us, but who has been reporting from the front lines of an Ontario hospital. And Anon wrote, and I quote, So I've been volunteering to work in ICU because ER is literally empty at times. Eventually a bunch of ambulances may show up at once, no COVID, and make it feel busy, but this is the nature of emergency. Otherwise, hours and hours may go with only 20 to 40% occupancy. The overall hospital tracker shows total hospital occupancy approximately 70%. Meanwhile, the ICU is in quote-unquote crisis. Yes, it's true that we are at 90% occupancy with far more ventilators than usual, but let's put this in perspective. The ICU has 10 beds. So all we need to do is eliminate two patients and we're down to 70% capacity. So what is the nature of the ICU crisis? First off, not to diminish the hard work and even the heroism of, of effort from my colleagues, but let's be real. People still have time to stand around and chat, take their coffee breaks, and check their phones. Sometimes all they need in the unit from me is to feel supported rather than alleviate any acute life-threatening staff shortage or assist resuscitative acts. Sometimes just my calming presence and a bit of comic relief is all they need. In fact, the ICU looks exactly like an ICU should look, busy with really sick people. So I'm reading the National Post in the hospital lobby, (laughs) and the latest media scare story is about critical care rationing. Once again, they're talking about war zones, and we're being scared to think doctors may have to choose who lives and who dies. Doctors in Canada have never faced critical care rationing. There's no historical precedent. If hospitals become overwhelmed, doctors will be asked to make impossible decisions that in normal times would be anathema to their training. (laughs) So when I got back to the ICU, I had a chance to talk about this whole concept of rationing with one of our best and smartest ICU doctors. We were conducting daily rounds on a chronically ventilated lady pushing 100 years old who demonstrates no hope for any quality of life, but is being kept alive physiologically with machines because the family insists on keeping granny alive at all costs. The general sentiment here is that contrary to doctors and nurses being forced into some moral quagmire of health care rationing, we would all welcome a return to professional autonomy where we can act on objective clinical judgment, not the emotional whims of families who cannot accept the reality of death. Truth is, that our government healthcare system has set up an impossible situation. On the one hand, patients and families are given a level of decision-making power to keep people alive on ventilators ad infinitum, despite all indicators pointing to total, utter, and abject futility. On the other hand, the amount of resources required to keep this going on is impossible to sustain. It has always been impossible, and it's been bankrupting our province for decades. So let me reiterate. Many doctors would relish the opportunity to have their autonomy back up and be able to say to families without fear of legal repercussions that, sorry, we've done all we can for your loved one, but there's no hope for return to quality of life. It's time to say goodbye. 
That is the absolute truth, and it's exactly what I've been saying since March. ICU and ventilator worship will simply result in an ocean of futility, when in actuality many of these people simply need to die. This is life. Sounds harsh, but this is exactly how doctors and nurses on the front line actually frame it. Some people just need to die. But the government cannot sustain its facade of infinite free health care at all costs if frontline doctors and nurses identify and act on the obvious truth. Just as universal masking policy is driven by public pressure, not medical science, the current policy of deciding who lives and who dies in an ICU is driven by the emotional whims of the public, not by medical science or autonomous professional judgments of expert doctors and nurses who actually work with dying people, end quote. Now isn't that an interesting contrast? So when it comes to hospitals and those in hospitals, apparently the family gets more say than the doctors or bureaucrats. Wow. But when it comes to long-term care facilities for dying patients, where people aren't insisting on keeping them alive forever, families cannot even visit and have no say in how their loved ones are being treated. Makes you think, doesn't it? What's wrong with this picture? Answer, everything, on both sides of that contrast. And yes, it even gets worse, because there's another completely ignored group of patients who simply cannot access any health care in a timely fashion, even in normal times. The COVID fraud just makes that reality even worse. As we hear from Frank Vaughn in this following personal account. I'm Frank Vaughn. It's January 27th, 1.24 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm holding in my hands. This is my sister's ring. She died when she was six years old, five or six years old. I was just a kid. And she had a brain tumor that disintegrated and went all through her body. <clears throat> the cancer spread all through her body and and it got her. But she had to fight for a diagnosis, or I should say my parents had to fight for a diagnosis. They had a doctor that for months just kept saying that she had a flu or she just had normal headaches or it was just growing pains or all this stuff. And my sister, my family had to witness her screaming and writhing in pain all day with these headaches, screaming with headaches, and a doctor telling us that it was just all in our heads. So Denise is dead. She's been dead for a long time. Ever since I did my video the other day, talking about individuals who can't get health care in this time of so-called crisis, where all we have to do, and, and we have to sacrifice small business, we have to sacrifice people's health in the name of fighting COVID-19. Ever since I did that video, I've had a lot of weighty communications come in from people all over this nation. The latest two came in today. One was from a fellow by the name of, I'm not going to tell you his name. You're wrong to tell you his name. Private communication being what it is. He had a 70 year old mother. She couldn't get in. She was having issues. She couldn't get in to see a doctor because of COVID, because we got to fight the COVID. She received a cancer diagnosis two weeks before she died. She died this morning, 3.15 a.m., of a cancer that if they had caught it, she'd still be alive now. But because of COVID, she could not get into a doctor to get a diagnosis. So she's dead. She's dead. Her chance of living is over at 70 years old. 70 years young. It's a young age these days. 
Another individual <clears throat> contacted me, has been struggling with the healthcare system for four years because this didn't, the point I'm trying to make is this didn't start with COVID. It didn't start with COVID. The problems with Canadian healthcare have existed for a very long time. But our best talent gets headhunted and goes to other nations where they can compete and they can make more money. We often get left with the world's dregs. There's no recourse. There's no lawsuit button. There's nothing you can do. Second opinions are hard to come by, and if you can get them, they take forever to acquire. These issues were there long before COVID. Another individual, four years trying to figure out why their life has been brought to a crushing halt. The entire time, they've had a protuberance. They've had a lump over their navel. And doctors said, oh, it's just scar tissue. It's just this, the other. Just, just totally dismissive about this lump. Well, this individual finally found an opinion, second, third, fourth opinion. I can't remember what number they are on. Turns out it's a hernia. So all kinds of medication, hormones, uh, therapies to try and address a problem that was really down to a hernia that could simply require a surgical intervention to fix. Canada has no accountability. There's no competition in this nation. There's no incentive for our medical people to perform at a high level. And oftentimes they don't. I've had doctors in the past who literally, they suck. They're the worst. They show up late for work. They don't shave for days on end. They show up hungover. They don't even make eye contact with you when you go in their office. All you get is a person sitting in front of a laptop asking you about your symptoms. And they don't listen. Now, this is a healthcare system that costs you a fortune. We are the, we are the lowest performing of nations in the OECD. We have the highest cost and the lowest performance. We have waiting lists up the wazoo and this is all before COVID set in. It's really hard to be on the receiving end of so many emails and so many messages from so many different people talking about what their parents are going through, what they themselves are going through, trying to navigate this so-called COVID crisis. Your government's killing people and that's, that's really what I wanna say. Canadians are good people, we're patient people, we're kind people, and we're trusting people. Trust can be a fault, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a tragic character flaw. But right now, your media is failing to tell you about the number of people who are being killed by all of these curfews, by these lockdowns by the decline in the normal performance of medical professionalism, by not being able to get your kids to get pre-screened, by not being able to get second opinions. Parents sitting in long-term care facilities that can't see their kids and can't get the health care that they need, so they're dying young. Who is counting their corpses? All I got for people who are writing me is words. That's all I can give them. What they want is answers. What they want is their health care. What they want is that which they're forced to pay for in Canada because you can't even opt out. You can't opt out. You can't buy private medicine in Canada. You have to leave the country. And you're not allowed to leave the freaking country right now. And buy a doctor down there as thousands upon thousands of thousands of Canadians have done every single year going back because our health care system sucks so bad 
that people don't want to die so they go to another nation to acquire health care privately while still paying for a health care system at home which is completely and totally broken, has no competition, has no accountability, has no mechanism for malpractice lawsuits? Who's going to count these people? Where's the statistic? We got running case counts. COVID cases, and we know now, I mean, they're admitting it, the World Health Organization has admitted that the PCR tests are bollocks, that they're not being applied accurately, something that we have been talking about on this channel and other places for months and months and months. They're finally now just getting around to admitting that they don't even have an accurate case count. You see banner headlines. CTV has them. Everybody has them. Talking about case counts. But you don't see one article trying to assess how many people have fallen through the cracks because of this government reaction. Doug Ford and his government couldn't be a bigger failure in my book. They're the worst, the single worst political government in the history of this nation. They outshine in their failure even the Trudeau government itself. Now you can argue that they don't. They suck. They both suck so bad. And they're killing people. But it's not just politics anymore. It's the media. It's the political culture. It's the social culture. It's the ubiquitous one-size-fits-all responses to COVID. And it's killing people. So when are the limits of Canadian tolerance reached? When do we start stop trusting, stop being so polite, and start getting angry? as our parents die, as children go without care, as people struggle with problems going undiagnosed because their doctors just don't care to listen. And people are dying. And that's it. And those deaths, they're not COVID deaths. They're not COVID deaths. All of them I lay at the feet of Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford and everybody else who's had a hand in kicking people out of the healthcare system who need their healthcare in the name of COVID. While there's TikTok videos, heartless, by the way, of nurses and doctors dancing on their break times and line dancing like they've practiced the moves, there are people who are dying because they can't get their normal care. I, I cannot believe that MPPs and MPs don't know this. If I know it, they know it. Why don't they care? Why don't they speak out? Is your job worth your soul? It's so sick. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And why don't they care? Because politicians aren't doctors and know less than nothing about health care. We didn't vote for them to care about Granny. We voted for them to govern, and you can't do both because any attempt to do so means you'll end up doing neither. Government is an instrument of force, and you can't be very caring when your only tool in the medicine chest is a gun. Because it is simply metaphysically impossible to care within a socialized, group-oriented system of health care. At best, it's assembly line medicine. At worst, it's no medicine at all, or even a killing prescription. Remember, it is to preserve this decrepit healthcare system that all of us are being forced into constant lockdowns, not to save lives. When Doug Ford and his ilk tell us that they're torturing us to save lives, what that really means is that they're killing us to save their reputations and credibility. 
This is why the lockdowns, the mainstream media fascist propaganda and censorship are continually being resorted to. Politicians are willing to sacrifice any number of lives and livelihoods to save one life as long as it's got something to do with COVID. Here in Ontario, socialized state-run medicine was implemented by the progressive conservatives who also take the honor for banning private health insurance and private health care wherever such services competed with the state-funded services. Doug Ford is merely carrying on the progressive conservative tradition. The problem is not him per se, although he's a problem, but those who vote for him even after more than half a century of clear evidence that the progressive conservatives have nothing in common with freedom, capitalism, or freedom of speech. And as I've said since the 80s, conservatives merely want to take socialism and make it efficient, which means saving money, which means less money left for true medical needs. The entire introduction of socialized medicine to Ontario was based on a complete fraud, just as all collectivist notions are sold through the use of force and fraud. There are no exceptions to this principle. Fraud is always effective against innocents who don't know any better, and force is always necessary to use against those who do know better, who can identify the fraud, or who refuse to comply with it. Sound familiar? And whenever you see anyone resort to force, fraud, or censorship, then you can always rest assured that they are the bad guys. Again, there's no exceptions to this principle, and if you remain conscious of the fact that government's a gun, that is, government is an instrument of force, then question what politicians do with it. Do they use that force of government to protect our rights to life, liberty, and property, to the pursuit of happiness, or do they use that force of government to violate those rights? And never forget this distinction. While it is true that government is an instrument of force, government is not the force itself. Force is what is governed, and that kind of government originates in the moral faculty. Again, there are no exceptions to this principle. We can use force justly or unjustly. And the way you can tell those two things apart is by examining whether that force is used to protect individual rights or to violate them. And that requires objective morality. Yes, it's that simple, but nobody's saying it's easy. In fact, making life easy is one of the biggest and false attractions of socialism and many of its other variants. Just force your responsibilities onto others. We're all in this together, don't you know? Wow, free health care, free education, the other guy will pay for it. But this comes with an eternal catch-22, doesn't it? All those other socialists are thinking the same thing forcing their responsibility onto others, except in their case, hey, you are the other. You become the one paying for them, and that's a bill that's impossible to pay because no one is ever personally responsible for their own health under such a system, and the bills never get paid. That cost is added to the public debt, which means that other guy I was talking about are our children and their children, who many, many years from now will be forced to pay for our health care system and our services while never being able to access it in a timely and proper manner themselves. All socialist programs operate within a large collective, not a small one, since then the reality of the farce becomes quickly visible. Try running a socialist system with, say, 20 people, and just watch what happens. But in very large numbers, and in a very large collective, it's easier to disguise the fraud because you can put off the inevitable for a few generations, constantly borrowing on the future until there's no future to borrow against. And that's kind of where we are today. And this accounts in part for the Great Reset, COVID-19, and all the rest of it. And with that thought in mind, 
Here's socialism and socialized medicine hard at work in downtown Toronto a couple of weeks ago, as reported by the rebel media's David Menzies on January 19. This is disgusting. This is disgusting. How can you guys do this? This is disgusting, man. How do you guys do this? I know they are. I know they are. You guys are disgusting. Wait until your rights are taken away. don't want you to be part of the arrest. What the hell? I can't even eat breakfast. Want to put your glasses back on? I have direct income. I have the medicate. I have bad shoulders as well. Want to put your glasses Well, David Menzies for Rebel News here at Young Dundas Square, and it looks like this might be the beginning of the end for Yahoo Nation. The Toronto Police Service tweeted out today: the COVID-19 pandemic is not just a public health issue; it is a public safety issue. The emergency orders are clear. Gatherings of more than five people are not permitted. Participating in large gatherings, including protests, is not just in contravention of these orders, but also puts attendees and the broader community at risk. What's interesting is this part about including protests. We saw in the summer that not only were the police not breaking up huge protests gatherings of Black Lives Matter, but we're actually taking part in those protests. And not to be outdone, Mayor John Tory tweeted, stay home, full stop. He's taking a dim view on these gatherings too. He didn't take such a dim view though on uh, Finance Minister Rod Phillips going to St. Bart's. Uh, he said, oh, come on, he's a nice guy. I guess they go to the same country club. So as you can see, the double standards, the hypocrisy continues to mount. I think this is a depressing day, a distressing day. It is Toronto's and Ontario's continued decline into a police state. Oh, and there's another arrest happening right now. Uh, it's a lady. Do not interfere. Do not interfere. You will face arrest. You came here, you arrested people. You pushed people into a corner. And now you're telling them they're not good enough to stand in Dundas Square. They got to stand on a sidewalk. And we literally have a line dividing law enforcement and civilians. We're all part of the same community. Your friends and family have businesses that are closed. Your kids are going to the same schools. You're being forced to wear the masks. I don't understand what you're doing here. Look around. Look around. Look around. These are your people that support you. People that love you. And you're roughing them up. You're giving us tickets. You're treating us like cattle. It's absolutely disgusting. What are you going to go home and tell your family? I was a big man. I tackled a woman today and I arrested her. I took a little old lady and gave her a ticket. I grabbed a street preacher. Mocha, mocha.
We are not going to leave. We are within our rights to be here. Your section one holds no precedence over the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. If you arrest me, you are committing a crime. Do you understand? Arrest the pedophiles. Do you understand? I am not under arrest. I do not consent. I am. No, I do not. No. No. If you touch me, it's assault. If you touch me, you are committing assault. You are invited. This is assault. What we've seen in this country since November 26 in front of Adamson's is unfortunately the death of Canada as we know it. We have Chinada now, we have tyrannical government, we have no freedoms, you, you have no freedom of expression, you have no freedom of religion, and today you have no freedom to peacefully assemble. I repeat, we have no more freedoms to peacefully assemble. The constitution of this country today is done. Every single politician who's not speaking against what's taking place today here is an accomplice to crimes against humanity, is an accomplice to the death of this country. And shame on every single politician that's not going to express complete disgust with what's taking place here today with complete abuse of the power. Hello, sir. I'm reading your sign. It says, police, we call on you to resist orders from a tyrannical government. It, it sure doesn't feel like an open and free democracy in the public square today, does it? The, uh, the atmosphere has definitely changed. You know, uh, we've been doing this for months and there's a, you know, it's always been peaceful, but there's a different crowd of police in here today. Definitely you can see the tension. You can see it's a, either it's a show of force or I don't know what's going on. Um, we shall see. Well, how do you think this day is going to unwind, sir? Uh, the police a few minutes ago gave people a two-minute warning to disperse. They're still clearly here, but do you think uh, it's only a matter of time before we see another Adamson barbecue crackdown? Oh, hopefully not. I mean, we've come here for a peaceful protest. I'm just here out for... I'm exercising, to be honest. I just brought a sign with me to, uh, you know, just exercise. Well, we know you can't go to the gym anymore. Exactly. So, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting some fresh air, which is free. And, um, yeah, and, and, yeah, hanging out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for your time, sir. Thank you. So, sir, I'm reading your toque and the lockdown let me live free how free do you feel today here at young dundas square I don't feel free at all because look at all the police officers here this is martial law whether they want to call it that or not it's a violation of our charter rights and freedoms and we're allowed to gather and we're allowed to basically protest unjust if you want to call them laws against us what do you think we just saw here today first of all it began as a demonstration here uh, the police reclaimed the square then they gave you an escort up young street no, they didn't and they, they, didn't? No. they did they not escort us. us they chased us they chased up young us. street yes. okay then and and then they started getting handsy with certain people arresting them handled quite a few people a couple of seven too. cops to take one lady away and i was told one girl was punched in the head as well when the yeah. cops took her down she was only probably a woman my size that's Kostopol. So, so the big question is, uh, next week, 
I, I don't know if there'll be another Young Dundas Square. Well, there will be. Are you coming back? Definitely. Definitely. We're coming back. This is the beginning of communism over here because this is bull. Pardon my language, but you're standing on a sidewalk. Two people watching are okay, but the two people over there who have a are protecting the rights and freedoms. They get smashed to the ground. That's 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 communism. I will be here. Yeah. So was this a, a dark day for Toronto, do you think, when it comes to freedom? Definitely. They threw the uh, Toronto rights out, out the window. Well, welcome to the new normal. And thank God for the folks at Rebel Media and what they've been doing here in Canada and in other countries as well. Most people I know have no idea that these kinds of protests are going on steadily week after week, thanks to our mainstream media. We would never have known about the people being locked up in Trudeau's COVID prisons. And thanks to rebel media and others, we would never have heard about all of the personal accounts of the toll these lockdowns are having on everyone. And just wait till some of the vaccine stats start coming in, or rather, are hidden from us. On February 1st, the Toronto Star tweeted that Ontario businesses will stay locked down until COVID-19 patients in ICU drop by more than half to which Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever tweeted, quote, The chronic shortage of health care resources in a socialized system is no basis for the violation of human freedom. Were it so, we would have been locked down since 1969, when the Ontario PC Party imposed the health care monopoly and the shortages started immediately, end quote. That's exactly right. But here's a critical observation that I have that really tends to bother me. While it was refreshing to hear that most of the protesters understand that Canada is not a free nation, too many still refer to some version of creeping dictatorship or tyranny. For example, in response to a recent tweet by Tom Quiggan linking to a Huffington Post commentary entitled, Why Canada Will Become a Dictatorship Under Trudeau, Paul McKeever again retweeted, quote-unquote, will become? Some people are so generous. <laughs> and he's hit the nail on the head. Take, for example, David Menzies referring to the continued decline into a police state, or to one of the protesters referring to the beginning of communism. These are comments I have been hearing for the better part of half a century. People still think that we're witnessing some kind of creeping socialism, fascism, tyranny, collectivism, communism, and a whole host of other collectivist notions when there's nothing creeping about it. It is here, now, in full force. The creeping part is all done. What people are confusing is the creeping damage done by the fully in effect tyranny as the tyranny itself. They're confusing the two. When that's only a natural consequence of an already existing tyranny. So did you follow that? I mean, the mere fact that this lockdown even exists is already all the evidence necessary to confirm that so too does the tyranny we pretend to so much fear. Now here's why I fear what will happen next. Because it's been my sad observation that in times of crisis, everyone runs away from various forms of tyranny, but no one runs towards freedom. They run towards security. And in doing that, they seek a consequence without its cause. Remember the old saying, those who value security above freedom will have neither. Those who value freedom above security will gain both. And that is absolutely true, both in theory and in practice. Every great and worthwhile accomplishment in human history has been the consequence of an increased degree of individual freedom. 
The degree of genuine freedom that was attained by humanity was always attained through some process or action guided by moral, educated, and honest individuals who are always a minority in any given society. And they have always been resisted and opposed by the masses of collectivists who seek the unearned, who want something for nothing, who demand security and safety at any cost. Those who cannot comprehend this truth will forever be victims of those who have no qualms about harming them in any way. The mere fact that any of the lockdowns, social distancing, and mask mandates are even possible means that we are already living in tyranny. It's not creeping, it's just creepy. And just as with left and right, there is no middle of the road under a tyrannical state. The fact that they may leave you alone in certain instances is only because you're already serving their purpose, or you are irrelevant to it, or they just haven't got around to you yet. Get in line. The point is that you're not legally equal in status to the ruling elites. There's no equality of rights. If there were, I would personally quarantine Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau, London Mayor Ed Holder, Toronto Mayor John Tory, among others, in a COVID prison camp of their own making and isolate them from the rest of society forever. And unlike them, in my case, I would be acting in simple self-defense and defending everyone else's life, liberty, and property in the process. They started this obscenity, which was never necessary, even if the COVID pandemic was real and not the fraud that we know it to be. And until that fraud and the true nature of this crime is fully exposed and becomes common knowledge that's understood and accepted by a significant majority, things will just keep getting worse and worse. Knowing this, all of the sociopathic politicians are already executing their censorship plans. And of course, another principle that has no exceptions is the fact that all censorship is aimed at the truth. With an apparent complete breakdown of anything resembling due process or a rule of law all around us, not just in Canada, two things are at play. One, a battle between competing narratives, defining the real nature of our situation, and that's part of the job we can play. And two, the reality that anything can happen, and it will given that all of the known processes, principles, and laws that would protect individual freedom have been systematically abandoned. My only reliable prediction for the immediate future is that things are going to get worse before they can even get better. So at the risk of finding ourselves banned, censored, or otherwise deplatformed, I will nevertheless invite you to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I read that dogs can uh, detect coronavirus uh, just by smelling the urine of an infected person. That's crazy that you can detect it just by smelling a person. That means if you want a free COVID test, you just have to stand next to Joe Biden. And... Um, <laughs> He's a sniffer. <laughs>